Amen. Well, I did a quick scan of the news this morning, and I counted no less than five stories about murder. Five headlines about people killing other people. Murder always makes the news. Did you notice that? I think that everybody can admit that murder is a little bit different of a crime than just simple assault or a robbery or something like that. Someone's life has actually come to an end. Somewhere there's a family who is grieving the loss of a loved one. And spiritually speaking, that person, of course, now has come face to face with eternity. True crime podcasts. Anyone out there listen to true crime podcasts? Don't be ashamed. Yes, some of you are like, yes, I don't want to admit it publicly, right? It's one of the fastest growing types of podcasts. Why? Because it's fascinating (laughs) to see the depths of evil that people could stoop to, to murder another human being and then, of course, try to cover it up. Human beings are different. We are different than animal life. When a lion stalks a zebra on the plains of Africa, the lion is not brought up on murder charges. But yet we are. The commandment then is saying, do not murder. And I know this is one of those commandments where we're tempted to be like, finally, checking the box on this one. I haven't murdered anybody, at least not today, right? But is that all this commandment's calling us to? Is to not physically murder another human being? And especially as us, church, as those who have been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, are we being called Rather, to be all about life instead of death. And what this commandment is calling us to and how we obey and violate this commandment in 2023, we are going to dig into today. So if you're still in Exodus 20, I was going to help you out, John, with the page numbers, but my page numbers would definitely be different than yours. Last week, we looked at the fifth commandment, honor your mother and father. Recall that we said why we're to do this. Our parents gave us life. They sustained us. They loved us. We also obey this commandment today because it's a principle that has implications that are not just about moms and dads, right? It's a picture of how we respect authority in general. We're called to love God with all we have, and we're called to love others as much as we love ourselves. And we saw last week that loving others means honoring those that are in authority over us. We also fully acknowledge that a command is difficult for other people, some people who may not have had the best parents or maybe even abuseful and neglective parents. But that's where we have to remember, again, the law of God is meant to drive us to the gospel of God. That conviction that we feel when we stare into the law and we all know that we can't uphold this, can't stop there. It can't stop with conviction. It has to be brought to the cross of Jesus Christ where we receive that forgiveness and that healing. The gospel brings healing and hope to the darkest situations. And speaking of dark situations, there may not be a darker one than when another human being murders another human being. This week in the Sixth Commandment, that's what we focus on. We focus on murder and all of the implications that flow from it. Let's read again this commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It says simply, you shall not murder. Quite possibly the shortest sermon text in Highlands Bible Church history. I'm sure one that you've probably already realized is way deeper 
than just the four words that are right here in English. It's been my attempt each week to try to organize our study in the Ten Commandments into two big buckets. The first one being explanation. What is forbidden in this commandment? What is commanded in this commandment? And then the second bucket, application. How do we then obey it or how do we violate this commandment in 2023 America? So onward to explanation. In Hebrew, our commandment's actually only two words. Lo ratzach, which means do not murder. KJV, unfortunately, goes with thou shalt not kill, which is unfortunate translation choice because then it kind of opens the door to what are we talking about here? Are we talking about just killing in general? And killing itself is not forbidden. What is forbidden is murder, premeditated murder of another human being. We're not talking about killing a deer or a spider or a varmint, like there was one rolling around here before, right? A little fox, right? Or accidental killing of a person. We're talking about premeditated killing, or as we see, unlawful killing. Philip Ryken notes this. The Hebrew language has at least eight different words for killing, and the one used here has been chosen carefully. The word is never used in the legal system or in the military. What the commandment forbids is not killing, but the unlawful killing of a human being. So what we have prohibited here is unlawful killing. And if you're confused by that remark or that category, right, we know that who sets the law? God himself. God himself created human beings, so therefore God himself is the one that governs all life of all human beings. And God himself is the only one that says when another human life can be ended. Murder is also, by the way, one of the best examples of what's called the moral argument for God's existence. Why? Because every culture and every country and every city in the entire world knows that the premeditated murder of another human being is wrong. It's just inside our brains. And so therefore, if we have a universal standard such as no murdering, therefore we must have a universal standard giver. And that is God himself. It's one of the best moral arguments for God's existence. On the contrary, you would hear the atheists, the, the materialistic worldview would say that morality is just cultural. And it's like, okay, show me one cultural where it's okay to go kill someone else for no reason. It's not there. That's inside us. That is given to us by our creator. God exists. So why is murder such a big deal? Glad you asked. Murder is so wrong because it's directly, directly correlated to the value of human life. Human beings, again, are different than any other of God's creatures. Reason, we are the only, one, only ones created in the image of God. And we know that from Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 and 27 say this. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The essence of the image of God is that we have a little bit of God imprinted on our soul. We have an idea that God exists. We have an idea of right from wrong. We have an idea like our creator that can create things and build things. We have ideas of what beauty is and complexity. We can think. We can reason. 
It is up against, of course, again, the materialistic, secular, atheistic worldview that says, no, man is just a glorified ape. We're just a glorified animal. That's not true. Biblically speaking, we are created in God's image. So when one image bearer ends the life of another image bearer, that is a really, really big deal. That is a violation of God's moral law. It is a direct offense of the image that is imprinted on our soul. Of course, in the immediate context, we might look at this verse again and say, well, I'm not going to break this one. Probably not. But what is this verse actually calling us to? And in the immediate context, of course, yes, we're probably not going to struggle with actually physically murdering someone else. But what is this commandment calling us to? And as we have been doing, we not only have to look at the words that are written here, but the direct implication of those words. In this case, yes, what is directly forbidden is, again, the murdering of another human being. But what is commanded in this verse then is, must be the opposite of that. We therefore have to pursue this to the most excellent and highest degrees. We are commanded to seek, provide for, protect human life at all times. And I'll say the first point this way. In the sixth commandment, we are commanded to do whatever leads to life. In the sixth commandment, we are commanded to do whatever leads to life. Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way, the sixth commandment requireth us all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. And it is forbidden the taking away of their own life or the life of a neighbor unjustly or whatever tends thereunto. That's a bit of a different story. It's no longer just do not murder, but it is seek life. It is do whatever we can to lead to life. It's not just about the letter of the law, but it's what the law implies. We violate it whenever we do not do whatever leads to life. It's not just about killing someone. It's about protecting life, any image bearer of God, because every single human being is made in the image of God. We protect human life. And so how do we do that? Let's jump into application. How do we obey and violate this commandment? In 2023 America, as you might imagine, if we open it up to its proper context, not limiting, again, to just murdering someone, then that takes on a whole nother story. Spurgeon said, these commandments take a far wider sweep than in the mere words. This one includes the doing of anything by which life may be shortened as well as taken away. Calvin said this, in general, thereof all violence and injustice and every kind of harm from which our neighbors bodily suffers is prohibited. Accordingly, we are required faithfully to do what in us lies to defend the life of our neighbor, to promote whatever tends to his tranquility, to be vigilant in warding off harm or anyone, danger comes in assist in removing it. I want us to look at four ways that we actually violate this command today in America. We violate it through, of course, murder, through hatred in the heart, through abortion, and through euthanasia and suicide. The first, of course, is actual murder. We've talked about this. It's completely sinful and a violation of God's command to kill another human being. But there are a few exceptions here, right? This is not talking about a bona fide accident. If it's a bona fide accident and another person dies, say, through an unavoidable car accident, that is not violating this commandment. But if you drink too much and you get behind the wheel 
and you crash into someone and you kill them, you are guilty of violating this commandment. Right? There are exceptions. It does not mean a legit accident. Neither does this mean actual capital punishment. It is a sinful violation of this commandment for the pattern of capital punishment is directly related to the civil law of God. God himself lays this out. Even before the law was given, way back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 9, he tells us about capital punishment. Genesis 9, 6, he simply says this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Once again, for God made man in his own image. God says you just cannot take away the life of another image bearer without severe consequences. This is not talking about capital punishment. Neither does this prohibit the taking of a life in what we refer to as just war. Just war meaning it's waged by a legit government for a worthy cause with proportional force against soldiers and not civilians when all other means of resolution have been exhausted. And we see this going on right now in the Ukraine where the people are resisting the Russian invasion. Right? They're not guilty of violating this commandment by protecting their families and protecting their homeland. We saw it, of course, in World War II against Hitler. We see it all over history. This does not mean the taking of, just, of, of life in just war. But we sinfully violate this commandment in 2023 when we unlawfully, intentionally kill another human being. But we've listed some of the exceptions in accidents, in capital punishment, in self-defense, or in just war. Self-defense, of course, one of those instances where we do not violate this. I skipped over that part, so allow me to back up there. If someone were to come into our church right now and start blasting away where he quickly put down, that is not a sinful violation of the Sixth Commandment. That is self-defense. That is protecting human life. And God even speaks of this in Exodus 22, verse 2. He says this, If a thief is found breaking in and struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. Right? We are allowed to defend ourselves. We are encouraged to protect our own families and those around us. And it is another exception to murder in this case. When else can we violate this commandment? What's probably more tempting to all of us than physical murder is actually bitterness and anger in the heart. You might have already thought of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he teaches that he is the one fulfilling the moral law of God. He is the one fulfilling these Ten Commandments that we are studying right now. We see it in Matthew 5, verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, again, confirming for us that he is the fulfillment of the moral law. He is transforming these things, right? But that last verse that he says Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Like, what does he mean by that? Well, we can use this commandment as a case study. Look at verse 21. You have heard it was said to those of old. Here it is. You shall not murder. 
And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Watch this. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus directly quotes this sixth commandment and then ratchets up the requirements of what it means to obey it. The Pharisees were the ones that would try to hide behind this commandment and say, I haven't murdered anybody. But yes, what bitterness and hatred is raging in your heart against people? Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says it's not just about physically killing someone. It is about what we think about them in our hearts This is huge in understanding how we obey and violate the moral law. Jesus doesn't do away with the moral law, but instead he raises the requirement for obedience. Jesus goes right after those like the Pharisees who might be tempted to just check that box. Haven't killed anyone? Don't plan to? Nailing it. Jesus says, what about your heart? Calvin calls this murder of the heart. And church, we all have done it. If you're angry with your brother, you're going to be judged. If you insult them, calling them a fool, you are headed for hell. Are you guys feeling that conviction with me? I'm just passing on the conviction again that I get like Wednesday and then give it to you guys on Sunday morning. We all get angry with people. Maybe some of us have been angry with our family or someone even this morning. This doesn't mean your fate is sealed. Let's, Let's cut this correctly, right? It doesn't mean that you are lost. It doesn't mean that you're headed for hell if you got angry with someone, which we all have. What we're talking about is unrepentant anger. We're talking about anger that is kept in your heart, that turns into bitterness. Breaking the sixth commandment is a lot easier than we think, right? The Heidelberg Catechism puts it like this. I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor. Watch this. By thoughts, words, gestures, and much less by deeds. Much less by deeds. Why is anger so dangerous? Because if we don't repent, if we don't resolve it, it quickly turns into bitterness and hatred. If we're angry at someone, we need to repent and we need to resolve it quickly. The Apostle Paul tells us all about that in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 26. He says, be angry and do not sin, Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He says, if you're angry with somebody, you need to resolve it quickly before it turns into bitterness. Anger is dangerous because it leads to hatred. And according to Jesus himself, it is a sinful violation of the sixth commandment if left unresolved. So many people walk around with unresolved bitterness and hatred and think incorrectly to themselves. I can't. And I never will forgive that person for what they did to me. Church, that's sin. According to this commandment, that is sin. Jesus has told us himself. You hold a grudge against them for maybe decades. Not only has Jesus some very strong words to say about your lack of understanding about how much you have been forgiven of elsewhere, it shows us again how serious Jesus takes his moral law Now, people can sin against us in massive ways. I am not taking away the hurt that anyone can do against us, right? Because of what we all have been forgiven of, though, church. Because we have been forgiven of so much. 
We must forgive others. One commentary put it like this, we are called to set aside hatred and malice in order to preserve the lives of others through forgiveness and mercy. The same forgiveness and the mercy that has been lavished on us in Christ is to be reflected in the way we treat others. We have been forgiven so much, church. We cannot hold grudges. We cannot harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. We violate this commandment when we physically murder them, but we also murder them in our hearts. There are two other violations of this commandment. We violate it through physical murder, through bitterness, but two others. We also violate it through abortion and euthanasia or suicide. And the third way, then, that we break this commandment is, of course, the horrific tragedy of abortion. Abortion is the undeniable, scientifically proven killing of a human being. The World Health Organization reports that there are over 70 million human beings murdered every single year through abortion worldwide. And when people want to take shots at Christians for always harping on abortion, always harping on this, I have to go back to the scale of this. Yeah, okay, I know there was an earthquake, right, that killed 30,000 people. I get that, and we should care about that. But this is killing 70 million people a day. A year, sorry. 70 million people a year. Look at the scale of this. Look at what we're talking about here. In the U.S. alone, there's over 600,000 abortions every year. By the time today is over, approximately 1,500 humans will have been murdered. It is a blatant violation of the moral law of God against this commandment. And who is responsible? First, the government is responsible because they allow it. They only allow it these days. They sanction it. They encourage it. The politicians sign the laws and then they tweet their picture about how wonderful it is that they are protecting women and reproductive rights and health care. We saw last week how the function of government was rather to uphold the law of God. Perhaps there is no greater violation of what government is supposed to be doing than abortion in permitting that. And second, the doctors and the medical staff that actually perform the abortions are responsible. They are, of course, directly involved in the unlawful taking of a human life. Sometimes their whole careers are built on this. But third, and not as popular to say, the mothers are responsible. The fathers are responsible. We had a close friend who got pregnant while unmarried, and her boyfriend simply said, take care of it. You see that pressure. The mothers who drive to the clinics to pay someone to murder their child are unfortunately responsible. They're guilty of violating this commandment. And that's not real popular to say, but it's logically true. It has to be. You would face criminal charges if you paid someone to kill your five-year-old. It's the same concept. Yes, the mother might be under tremendous pressure. Yes, they might even be forced to an extent, but unfortunately, they're still guilty. And here's where this gets into a gospel issue really fast. Because we can paint people in these situations out to be victims, or we can paint them out to be guilty of sin. Why this is a gospel issue? Christ didn't die for victims. Christ died for sinners. And so, yes, unfortunately, it is sin. But what does that lead us to? If you're a victim, there's nowhere to go with this. If you're a sinner, you go to the cross. If there's a sinner, you go to the cross where there's hope, 
where you, where you kneel down in front of the cross and say, yes, I have broken your law. I am guilty. Your son bled and died for my forgiveness of this sin. Please forgive me. And then watch the healing and the restoration come from that. Church, I know it's not popular to say, but we've got to remember, without the guilt, we can't see the forgiveness. Without the bad news, we can't see the good news. Without realizing that Christ came for this. That's what he bled and died for. That's why we're so thankful to partner with organizations like Today's Choice Women's Centers, who not only give those in crisis pregnancy situation actual facts of what they're dealing with when they put the baby up on the sonogram, but not only give them counseling about what's going to happen, about what that actually means, most of all, they give them healing and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful to partner with them. TC also, by the way, provides lots of resources for those moms and dads after they have the baby. Because that's one of the greatest counter-arguments that you hear in our culture today. Is like, all you Christians care about is the baby up until birth. And then after birth, you don't care. That's a lie. That's not true. How many Christian foster parents do we have? How many Christian adoptive parents do we have? How much work is Today's Choice doing in helping moms who have just had babies, giving them diapers and clothes and everything else? We've got to know the truth, church. Unfortunately, the world is so dark that abortion is not only permitted, but it's celebrated. Social media accounts encourage women to shout their abortions. When Roe versus Wade was shot down, we had women taking the abortion pill on the steps of the Supreme Court in denial of it. It's a celebration of death in a culture of death. Abortion literally violates and blatantly violates the Sixth Commandment. But there's one more to talk about this morning. Fourth, assisted suicide or euthanasia simply and sinfully rather violates this commandment. On the books... From what I can still tell in a quick search, euthanasia or medically assisted death, right, medically assisted suicide, is still technically illegal in 50 states. But there are a few states now that have legal medical aid in dying programs and laws on the books, and it is starting to happen even here. Worldwide, countries are becoming destination places for medically assisted suicide, just like states are becoming destination places for abortion. You can go to Holland, you can go to elsewhere, where laws, there are no laws on the books. Today in the Netherlands, you can be as young as 12 years old. But you have to be, you have to get your parents' permission until you're 16. Most of the time, someone wants to end their life, of, life, of course, because they have a chronic illness, because they're suffering tremendously. And we can see the logic in that. We can get that. If someone's suffering, so you, can, you can understand that. But here's where it comes back to the law of God. It's not your life. It's God's life. You're made in his image. We don't have that control over our lives. God has that control over our lives. It's not ours to take. It belongs to the sovereign God who gave it to us in the first place. And of course, we speak of the tragedy of suicide itself. And suicide, contrary to some beliefs, is not the unforgivable sin it is, of course, once again, a violation of the Sixth Commandment, but as we've seen, so, so is unresolved hatred and bitterness towards someone else. And if you're a Christian, you have to remember all your sins when you confessed faith in Jesus Christ, all of your sins, past, 
present, and future have been forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, suicide is a big deal. It is a violation of the sixth commandment, but it is not the unforgivable sin. It's hard to believe that the sovereign Lord God, maybe in the moment that he saved us, saw how someone's life would end by their own hands. And he still said, they're mine. We have to remember that. But suicide rates are increasing, probably helped by the isolation of the pandemic and our increasingly isolationistic lifestyles. In 2021, for the first time in over two years, suicide rates rose. And is in many ways, church, the ultimate deception of sin and our enemy to say that there is no other way out than this. Suicide, of course, is not the real answer, and I'm going to keep pointing us back to the hope that is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope is in Jesus Christ. The healing is in Jesus Christ. Church, we need to be checking on each other. We need, to, we need to be showing real, actual love and compassion to one another. We need to be present in one another's lives. We need to be pointing each other towards Jesus continuously. And so there are some ways that we can violate this commandment, and we see our society violating this commandment. But how can we obey it? How can we obey this commandment? I'll give us a few summary principles here. In short, we obey this commandment, of course, when we act in such ways that lead to life and not death. And hopefully these statements will guide us in further application. First, way we obey it, we don't give in to physical violence, but rather we promote peace. Maybe some of us can be quick to fight, physically or verbally. Maybe we're quick with our road rage, or quick to argue, or quick to stir the pot. Those things and more break the letter and the spirit of this commandment. Instead, we're called by Jesus himself to be what? To be peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The Apostle Paul sums up our goal like this in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Our goal is not conflict. Our goal is peace. We don't give in to physical violence, but rather promote peace. Secondly, we seek what leads to our own physical health and the health of those around us. If our diet is trash, if our sleep schedule is unstable, if our exercise is non-existent, we're slowly killing ourselves. It might take decades, but we're still slowly killing ourselves. We should also promote good health with others, of course. Parents need to be making healthy choices and setting healthy routines. We need to be encouraging one another in good health. This is in self-control in our habits, or as the old word said, temperance. One commentator on Westchester said this way, intemperance means excess or overindulgence. Temperance means a moderate or restricted use. So whenever a Christian uses anything, he must do it in such moderation that it does not tend to the destruction of life. Puritan Thomas Watson isn't messing around here. He says, gluttony shortens life. Many dig their own grave with their teeth. The cup kills more than the cannon. This is excessive drinking, of course, cause untimely death. The cup kills more than the cannon. We also can care for the health of others in this, right? Many of us are in that position where we are caring for elderly relatives or we're caring for sick relatives or maybe even caring for our own sick children, right? Or sick spouses, right? This is 
honoring to the Lord when we do that. We are caring for others. We are leading to the health of others. We are seeking their good. This is how we obey this commandment. If this is true of the body, how much more is it true of the soul? We need to be spiritually healthy. We need to be spiritually mature. We need spiritual health. And the physical health and the spiritual health are related. I can't tell you how many times I have someone in my office and everything is going haywire. They're full of fear, worry, anxiety, depression. And I say, well, what about the practical things of life? How are you sleeping? I'm not. How's your diet? It's terrible. Are you exercising? No. Let's start with the things that you can control. Okay? Because those things have a direct bear on our spiritual self. Right? We see this all the time, unfortunately. Fix what you can fix first. Be diligent in full body and soul health. Third, we strive to help and protect our neighbors instead of isolating ourselves. We strive to help and protect our neighbors instead of isolating ourselves. Church, this is, we live in individualistic societies where everybody has their earbuds in. Right? Nobody really wants to talk to anyone. They stare at our, our phones. We don't generally engage, especially in New Jersey. We see very few men who might be ready, willing, and able to otherwise help someone in need. Maybe to protect them, to defend the innocent, to rescue them from danger. Maybe even willing to lay down their lives for someone else. That is a noble thing that that is reflective of honoring this commandment in preserving life. We see that, of course, even in caring for those that are marginalized and oppressed in our culture. That's why we support places like My Brother's Place, who provide places of, of, of refuge for those in spiritual or physical need. That is good, and that honors this commandment. Luther writes, This commandment is violated not only when a person actually does evil, but also when he fails to do good to his neighbor, or if he has the opportunity, fails to prevent, protect, and save him from suffering bodily harm or injury. We cannot see someone in need or in danger and walk the other way and obey this commandment. We need to be doing whatever leads to life. How can we, or we can think about obeying the law of God and limit that to our own personal lives, and that's the temptation in our society, right? We think like, okay, got this, no problem, but open our eyes, take the blinders off, and we're called to love others as much as we love ourselves. That includes preserving their lives and doing what leads to their, their fruitfulness and their good, because once again, all this comes back to what? Loving each other. The sixth commandment tells us how to love each other. And so how does the sixth command tell us that? Simply this. We love others by doing all we can to preserve life. We love others by doing all we can to preserve life. Preserving life is the ultimate expression of love. And Jesus said again, the summary of the first four commandments was what? Love God. The summary of the last six commandments is what? Love others. We love others by doing all we can to preserve life. We are commanded to do whatever leads to life. Yet we live in a culture where murder is in the news every single day. Where bitterness and hatred rage. Where abortion is celebrated. And euthanasia and suicide are on the rise. Again, if we follow this commandment with the implications that we're laying out here today, how counter-cultural will we be amongst this culture of death? As Christ's followers, we're called to be set apart. 
In a culture of death, we're called to be people of life and love. And we love others by doing all we can to preserve their lives and ours. We don't give in to physical violence. We promote peace. We seek what leads to our own physical health and those around us. We strive to help and protect our neighbors instead of isolating ourselves. And as always, church, it comes down to the big why. Why would we do any of this? Like, like put this aside for a moment and, and say, the, put Exodus aside for a moment that we're commanded to do this. Besides, why, are we, why would we do this? It's not just because we are commanded, although that is important. Why? Because we were the ones who was rescued from death into spiritual life. Church, we were all spiritually dead. We were all separated from God. We were all his objects of wrath for our sin and rebellion against him. We were unable to help ourselves, but God did. But God, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, what? Made us alive through faith in Jesus Christ. Why would we do this? Because we were dead too. And Christ made us alive. We love others by doing all we can to preserve their life. Why? Because Jesus gave his life on the cross for us to be made alive. And those who were once dead have been made alive in faith in Christ Jesus need to look for life everywhere they go. We are reminded of that. Life is what we're about, church. Physical life, spiritual life, emotional life. Because we've been made alive through faith in Jesus. And if you don't know what that means, please talk to me today. It's my favorite thing to talk about. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're all here. And Christians, we love others by doing all we can to preserve life because we were the ones who have been brought from death to life. It's about loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to do that. Father, we thank you for your word today. It is a tough word. It is, it is a sobering word as we think about the culture of death that we live in, where it is celebrated in movies. I mean, how many of us have seen hundreds of people murdered in movies? We see it, of course, in real life in the news every day. We see it in the horrors of abortion. And Father, for those who have been impacted by abortion, we pray that you would lead them to the hope and healing that's only through Jesus Christ. Lord, we see it, of course, in our culture that continues to celebrate death. And now, increasingly, we see people turning to suicide as a way out. We pray that the truth breaks through any situation for anyone that is even close to that, Lord. That they would open their eyes to see that there is life and healing and hope in Jesus Christ. And may we be able to spot those who need us to remind them of that. But Lord, ultimately, we are so thankful that you have defeated death. And that now we are all about life. Help us, Lord. Open our eyes to see what we are called to do to preserve our own life and the lives of others around us for the glory of God as we love them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.